0: On today's episode of A Measure of Faith, we're going to talk about what it means to truly follow Christ. Jesus said that if any man follow me, let him take up his cross and deny himself. What does that mean? Do we need to also die a literal death? We're going to explore this topic and more in today's episode of A Measure of Faith. If you've ever asked yourself, is God real? Is there more to life? Are miracles possible? Then you're in the right place. Thank you for joining us today on this podcast. Here's your host, Jacob Jones, pastor of River City Pentecostals in Decatur, Alabama, hoping to increase your measure of faith with inspirational stories and the truth of God's Word. Welcome to today's episode of A Measure of Faith. This is episode number seven on this show, but it is episode number two, part two, rather, Uh, in a series I'm doing where I'm teaching a Bible study that I wrote called Follow Him. You can find that Bible study and it's a free PDF that you can download on followhim.online followhim.online and uh, if you have trouble finding that website because it's not a .com or .org or whatever, you can go to jacobjones.org and you'll see a link to it on there as well. Um, You can download it as well to follow along with with this show because I'm teaching from those notes and feel free to make copies of it, print it, send it to people, email it to people, do whatever you want to do with it. Just don't sell it because my plan is to never uh, charge money for this Bible study. In this Bible study, I teach you how to follow Jesus. Jesus said that we should follow him. We should take up our cross, deny ourselves and follow him. And how do we do that? In the first episode of this series, which was episode six of this show, part one of this lesson. Uh, We talked about how to follow Jesus in birth, the new birth experience, and we differentiated between a natural birth and a spiritual birth that Jesus was talking to Nicodemus about in John chapter 3. We understood that the new birth involved water and spirit, and when the gospel message was first preached and after Jesus was glorified, the Holy Spirit fell And everybody that Peter preached to that day that heard the gospel, they responded to the gospel by being baptized in water and filled with the Holy Spirit, water and spirit. That is the new birth experience. And it's how you enter into the kingdom of God. Jesus said you can't enter into the kingdom of God without being born of the water and the spirit. And I'm actually um, I'm actually as a side note, I'm working on a book right now called. The two kingdoms where I talk about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God is specifically when you are born again, you are entering into the kingdom of God. So if you have been born again, you've repented of your sins, baptized in Jesus name, filled with the Holy Ghost. Welcome to the kingdom of God. If you've never experienced that in the way that the Bible described it in the book of Acts, then I would encourage you to follow along in these lessons as we dive a little bit deeper into how to follow Jesus. So from the new birth experience, I'm going to go back. We're kind of going to go back a little bit to the death. It sounds out of order because Jesus was born first and then he died. But the new birth is an experience. The spiritual birth is a spiritual experience that happens after you die. I know it sounds backwards, but we're not talking about a literal death just like we weren't talking about a literal a literal birth in the last episode. We're going to talk about a spiritual death that occurs and this is lesson 2 again of a two, of a four-part series on my Bible study follow him, which again can be found on followhim.online. And so let's get started. So the death of Jesus is undoubtedly the most well-known event in the history of the world. I mean, everybody knows about it. All 2.4 billion Christians obviously know about it. And almost everyone that's not a Christian has at least heard about it. And there's a reason for this. God planned this event before the world was ever formed. And I want to talk about for a minute, this idea of two Mysteries. I spoke about this a little bit in episode of this episode three of this podcast when I was talking about the nature of God and this idea is something that I I got from the teaching of my pastor going up, Pastor Stan Davidson, who pastors in a uh, church on the Rock in Gazan, Alabama, and he he he's the one that first brought this revelation to me. And as you study Scripture, it becomes obvious that this is. This is true and this it's it's pretty awesome when you look at this there's two mysteries that the Bible talks about in the New Testament. Paul actually talks about them. The first one is the mystery of iniquity and the the other one is the mystery of godliness. What's the mystery of iniquity? It's mentioned in 2nd 2nd Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 4 when Paul is talking about how Satan will inhabit a man called the antichrist, the son of perdition and that man plans to do what he has always tried to do, and that you know is no different. The devil's game hasn't changed. He's trying to be God. The very first sin, when one of God's angels called Lucifer tried to lift himself up to be greater than God. Because of this sin, Lucifer and one-third of all the angels were cast out of heaven. And the next time we hear about him, he's taken the form of a serpent in the Garden of Eden. And then he tries to get God's creation to do the same thing he tried to do, which is to become like God. He told Adam and Eve, if you'll eat of this fruit, you'll be like God. That's what's really going to, you're not going to die. You're going to be like God. And this is the mystery of iniquity. When man is sinning and disobeying and following his own will, and and he's disobeying God's commands in order to be his own God. Iniquity is another word for sin, but it literally means lawlessness. Iniquity isn't, you know, in its simplest form, it's it's basically just disobeying God's laws or commands. But if you really think about it, it's saying, I'm going to basically take everything into my own hands. I'm going to do it my own way. It's really about your will versus God's will. God told Adam and Eve, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When they broke that law to become like a god... They were partaking in the mystery of iniquity. Lucifer tried that in heaven. He's going to try it again one day on earth when he inhabits the Antichrist and walks into the temple, performs the abomination of desolation and tries to claim to be God. But until that happens, he attempts uh, or he tempts each of us to try to do the same thing, to forsake God's laws and be our own God. This is the mystery of iniquity. It's directly uh, in opposition to the mystery of godliness, which we'll talk about in a second. But first, I want to talk about the cost of sin. We t- we, we read this in the last lesson, the cost of sin. In Romans 6.23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. When Adam and Eve sinned, the Bible tells us that God made coats of skin for Adam and Eve because they were now able to see that they were naked and they were ashamed. Their eyes were open. They they now knew about evil. This was the first blood that was ever shed to cover sin because God had to kill some animals to make those coats of skin. So from this point forward, there was a precedent set. There would always need to be a substitute sacrifice required to pay for man's sins. And this is because it was God's law that the payment for sin would be death. The problem was the blood of animals was not sufficient to break the curse of sin forever. It was just a temporary solution. How do we know this? Well, we know this by reading Hebrews chapter 9, verse 13 through 15. Let's read that now. Verse 13 says, For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean Sanctify to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So the blood of bulls and goats, the writer of Hebrews alludes to the fact that that, that wasn't enough. It only carried your sin forward one year, according to, Word of God. But there was a better plan, the plan that God had from the beginning. Since the blood of bulls and goats was only a temporary solution, God became the ultimate sacrifice to give us eternal life. God did this by becoming a man. First Timothy 3.16 talks about the mystery of godliness, and Paul says, and most certainly the mystery of godliness is great. He was manifested in the flesh Vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. The mystery of iniquity was when man tries to become God. The mystery of godliness is when God became man. He was manifest in the flesh. This was his plan all along. In John chapter 1, it says in verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 14, it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. If we go back to verse three, it tells you that everything that was created, everything that was made was made with that idea that the word would become flesh that and the word was God. So God would become flesh. And we observed his glory as the one as the one and only son of the father, full of grace and truth. In other words, Jesus was the plan from the very beginning. Remember verse 1 says the Word was with God. The Word was God. Verse 14 tells us the Word became flesh, meaning the Word became a man, Jesus. Just like in 1 Timothy 3.16, how we read the mystery of godliness is when God manifests himself in the flesh. This was God's plan from the beginning. Even before Adam and Eve ever sinned, the book of Revelation tells us that Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. God had this plan in his mind before he framed the worlds with his words. So now that we know that was his plan all along, let's look deeper at this plan. We know the mystery of godliness is God becoming a man, but why did he do it? Why would he become a man? Why would he be manifest in the flesh? Why would the word become flesh? Let's look at Hebrews 2, 9. It says, but we do see Jesus made lower than the angels for a short time so that by God's grace, he might taste death for everyone. Crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. God became a man. So that he could pay the price for our sin. Remember, the price for sin is death. It's a price that we could not pay ourselves. The price of death. As an eternal, invisible, all-powerful spirit, God cannot die. So he had to take on the form of man. We just read it. He made himself lower than the angels for a short time. So that he could taste death for everyone. But why? Why would God taste death for everyone? Well, that comes to, that brings us to John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world. Remember, it's all about relationship. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, which was that body, that holy thing that was conceived inside of Mary. That's his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Remember, sin, we, the penalty for sin is death, but God paid for it so that we could have everlasting Life. He made himself a little lower, than, little lower than the angels. Became the man Christ Jesus, so that he could die for our sins and give us eternal life with him. He did this because he loves us. The wages of sin are death. But it's a price we could never pay. We needed a substitute just like Adam and Eve did in the beginning. God told them they're going to die, but they didn't die. He killed some animals and put some coats of skin on them. There was a substitute sacrifice. We needed a substitute, and the real substitute was not the blood of bulls and goats. It was Jesus. God made a plan from the very beginning that he would make himself a man he would be manifest in the flesh so that he could sacrifice himself for our sins so how do we follow him in death he said we've got to follow him right take up your cross deny yourself if jesus died for us and we're set free from our obligation to die for our own sins jesus paid the price for our sins with his life however he still told us we got to pick up our cross and follow him. So how do we follow Jesus in death? Paul said in Colossians chapter three, verse one and two, that since we have been raised with Christ, and we'll talk about what being raised with Christ is in the, the fourth lesson of this uh, four part series, uh, he says, since we've been raised with Christ, we should set our minds on things above and not on earthly things. Paul then says in Colossians 3 that we need to put to death this earthly nature and what belongs to it. He goes on to talk about what the earthly nature is and those things that we need to put to death. He, he tells us that it's sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, greed, idolatry, anger, wrath, malice, slander, filthy language, and lying. Then he goes on to say in Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 9, He says, do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. So before we can be raised with Christ, he says we must first put to death that which belongs to our earthly nature. By doing this, we are putting off the old self and its practices and we're putting on a new self. We are literally exchanging our earthly nature for one we will have when we get to heaven, i.e., the things above. This death to earthly things comes through repentance. Now, Paul explains this whole concept throughout the book of Romans and I can't read the whole book of Romans to you, so I'm just going to hit some highlights, but I would encourage you to go take a moment, pause this podcast if you have to, and go pull out the book of Romans or come back to it later. Like if you're driving right now, don't do this, but go pull out the book of Romans and hit these verses that I'm going to just kind of quickly pass over. But in Romans two, four Paul explains that God is leading us all to repentance. And then, in Romans chapter 3, verse 10 through 12, he tells us that we have all turned away from God. In Romans 5, 20, he tells us that when sin is multiplied, grace is multiplied even more. In Romans 6, 1, he tells us that we should not continue in sin just because God's grace can cover our sin. Just because, you know, if there's a lot of sin, there's always more grace, he says. But that doesn't mean that we just keep sinning because there'll be more grace. And then in verse six of that same chapter chapter six he tells us that our old self is crucified with christ so that the body of sin might be destroyed and romans 6 4 tells us that we are buried with him in baptism into death and we're going to cover this more in detail in the next session we're going to talk about baptism but in short repenting of our sins to kind of summarize those first six chapters of Romans repenting of our sins is how we follow Jesus in death repentance is our old sinful nature dying repentance is how we actually carry our cross before we are buried with Christ in baptism so how do we repent the word repentance is a Roman military term that means an about face remember Paul said that we have turned away from God when we sin. We're turned away from God. So repentance is actually turning around and coming back to God. So when this command is given to a soldier in the Roman military, their responses to turn completely around. And the, I spent some time in the military when we were told to do an about face, we had to snap around uh, in the opposite direction that we were facing. So in the same way, when you're headed in one direction away from God, following the mystery of iniquity, doing what you want to do and not listening to God, you have to stop and turn around, turn completely around to follow Jesus. So repentance means to turn away from sin back toward God. In Matthew chapter 4 verse 17, Jesus started his preaching ministry on this subject of repentance. And before Jesus, John the Baptist also preached for people to repent of their sins for the kingdom of heaven was at hand. In Acts chapter 2, after people believed the gospel message that Peter preached to them, the first thing Peter told the people to do was repent john jesus peter and paul all taught that people should turn away from sin that's going beyond belief my friend you don't just believe the gospel you've got to repent you've got to turn away from your sin and turn back to god so i'm going to tell you four elements of true repentance this is all found in scripture this is all directly from your bible you can read along with this if you're not driving and if you are driving go back and listen to this again if you want. This is true repentance. It's more than just raising my hand saying I believe in Jesus. It's it's further than that. You've got to you've got to truly turn away from your sin and turn towards God. How do I do that? Well, the Bible tells us. And the first one is Uh, confessing your sin that's the first element of true repentance first john chapter 1 verse 9 said if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins to cleanse us from all unrighteousness if you want to be cleansed from all unrighteousness and if you're trying to turn away from your sin and turn towards god then you should want that then You have to confess your sin. Now, that doesn't mean you got to go to a priest and confess it. That doesn't mean you need to go stand out in the streets and tell everyone you're a sinner. Guess what? All of us are sinners, too. We all are sinners. But what this means is you need to come to the realization that when you're running away from God, following after your own will, doing what you want to do, that is sin. It's sin, even if it's something you like to do, even if you think, well, I was born this way or this is my nature. This is just how I am. Well, guess, guess what? How you are if it is contrary to what God wants, it is sin. If you're going away from what he wants you to do, if you're going in the opposite direction of God, you're not in a relationship with God. You're turning away, going after your own desires, your own lust, your own uh, sin. That That is what sin is is and you have to stop and basically stop denying to yourself that what you're doing is wrong stop denying to yourself that all of these things that i'm doing just because i desire them doesn't make them right in fact if i desire something that's contrary to god's will and god's word that is sin that is disobedience and that's the mystery of iniquity so If we confess it, if we basically say, okay, God, I know this is sin and I'm sorry. The Bible says he's faithful and just to forgive us and he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the first element is to confess your sins. The second element of true repentance is godly sorrow. What do I mean by that? 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, Paul says that godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. So he's saying that we need a godly sorrow to have true repentance that leads to salvation. That means I don't just raise my hand and say, OK, yeah, I see I, I got caught. All right, well, you know, what do I do? Oh, I just accept Jesus as my savior. Good, I'll do that. Check the box. No, you've got to tr- not just confess that what you're doing is wrong. You need to feel some remorse about it. You need to say, wow, I didn't realize that the God of the universe who created everything wanted to be in a relationship with me and the things that I was doing is hurting him. It's hurting my relationship with him. And then when you realize like I am hurting you, you should naturally feel sorry for hurting someone. It's if you hurt someone and you feel no sorrow, then what's people would be like, what's wrong with you? You just hurt that person. Like, shouldn't you? Right. When my kid, one of my kids hurts one of the other kids, one of their siblings and, and they just like walk away. I'm like, yo, Hey, what's up? Like, you just, you need to go apologize. You need to be sorry about what you just did. And, and, and that's really what re- true repentance involves it involves a godly sorrow not just confessing your sin but being sorry remember in the first uh, lesson first part of this lesson in the last episode when we were talking about cherry picking this is how the bible is like i can't just look at one scripture about repentance if I did, I could just go to first John chapter one, verse nine and say, Oh, I'll just confess my sin. All right, I'm good. A lot of people are that's that's all they oh yeah, I sinned. You got me. But that's not full repentance. You gotta look at all of the scriptures about repentance. And when we do that, Paul tells us true repentance comes through godly sorrow. The third thing that the third element of true repentance is to turn to God and do good things. Acts 26 20 says, instead I preached to those in Damascus first and to those in Jerusalem and all the region of Judea and to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do works worthy of repentance. Okay. So I've confessed it. I felt sorry about it, but I continued doing those things. I continued doing things that that i just confessed of i just i continue doing things that i felt sorry for that's that's not true repentance true repentance is when you turn to god and you start doing things worthy of repentance you start saying okay god i'm not going to follow my will anymore what's your will for my life what do you want me to do what's your plan for my and to be hungry about what your calling is make your calling and election sure i want to know god what it is that would please you? What is it that you've called me to do? What what can I do to to improve our relationship with each other? I know those things that I just confessed, those things that I was sorry for. I know it's not those things because those things did not please you. Those things hurt you. So I'm turning away from those things. And I want to turn towards you and do works worthy of repentance. And the fourth and final thing is one that I think many people often overlook. Because even after we've confessed our sins, and we're sorry, we have a godly sorrow for our sins, and we turn away from some of the things that we were doing, and we turn towards God, and we start doing some good things, and we think, okay, we're good. But there's one other element of true repentance. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 and 15, Jesus says, for if you forgive others of their offenses, your heavenly father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your father will not forgive your offenses. Offenses there means your sin. When you sin, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, then God will forgive you. So this is the fourth element of true repentance is when you learn to forgive others because God has forgiven you you should have mercy on other people don't try to say well i accept this forgiveness from God but when somebody else does something to me i'm going to hold a grudge i'm going to be angry at them there's a there's parables about this like it, this is this is an element of true repentance when you learn that the mercy from that God gave me is something that i need to turn around and give to his other children other people he's created i've got to learn to forgive others and if you don't learn to truly forgive other people you'll never have true repentance yourself because god's going to take back the forgiveness that he gave you it's very very important this is something that can't be overlooked to find true forgiveness of sin you've got to forgive other people and so in conclusion we are all sinners the wages of sin is death and We could not pay that price ourselves. We needed a substitute to die for our sins. And in the Garden of Eden, God provided a substitute for Adam and Eve by clothing them with the animal skins of some animals that had to be sacrificed. Blood had to be shed. But that was a temporary solution. It was just a temporary covering. Their sin was the same sin that Lucifer attempted in heaven, and that the Bible prophesied that Lucifer will do again on earth in the last days when he possesses a man, the son of perdition, and performs the mystery of iniquity when he tries to become God. But God had a plan all along. He knew we would sin, and he made a way for us to be redeemed before he even created us through Jesus Christ. And that's the mystery of godliness, when God became a man, the Word Was made flesh. God became the man Jesus who tasted death for us. He died for our sins and was the perfect sacrifice. Once and for all, He paid the price for all sin. And He did this because He loves us. He did this because He wants a relationship with us. But He gives us a choice. There's always free will. He gives us a choice of whether or not we want to have that true relationship with him. And to have that relationship with God, we must first believe the gospel that Jesus came, did miracles, was crucified, and was resurrected from death. Once we believe the gospel, we got to respond to it. What shall we do, they said in Acts chapter 2, verse 3. What sh- They were pricked in their heart. What shall we do? And Peter said, repent and be born again. Repentance happens when you die to your old sinful ways. It's a spiritual death, not a physical. Jesus already died on the cross. You don't have to die on a cross. You need to die to your old sinful ways by confessing your sins to God with godly sorrow, turning to God to do good things, and then forgiving others. Once you've repented of your sins, you can experience the new birth. The new birth is when you're baptized with water and spirit. And we're going to look at that in the next two episodes. Once we follow Jesus to the cross and die to our sin through repentance, how do we follow him to the grave? And that's what we're going to look at in the next lesson. We explore how we're going to be buried with Jesus in water baptism. Thank you for joining me on today's episode of A Measure of Faith. I look forward to speaking with you guys in the next episode. It's it's always my pleasure to share the truth that God has revealed to me and not to take it for granted because there's so many people that have been confused by false teachers by by traditions of men by philosophy by by the rudiments of the world by all of these things that that are speaking at us all this noise that's coming at us but when you get rid of all the noise and you just go straight to the word of god he makes it very clear he's not trying to hide the truth from you God wants to be in a relationship with you. And the first step towards having that relationship with God is to repent of your sins. Paul said, I die daily. He's not physically dying. He's repenting of his sins every day. That's something that you should do every day. God, forgive me of my sins. I'm sorry, God creating me a clean heart, renewing me a right spirit. Forgive me of my lust. Forgive me of my pride. Forgive me of any of my sins, God. Anything that I've done that was my will and not your will, forgive me, O oh God, as I forgive others right now in the name of Jesus. If, if you will say the, something like that in your own words, God, I'm sorry. The Bible says he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins god bless you enjoy the rest of your day and we'll see you on the next episode